My name is Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and uh, I love Young and his stories. Uh, I love when he starts to choke up a little bit, and, and for you, I just want to do your son's dance. Yeah, give me a gummy bear. I love gummy bears, man. Um, we both share a son named Josh, and we connect in a lot of ways. Um, this Sunday, we're continuing our real-life relationship series. We're talking about a lot of the different relationships we have, whether it's marriage, with children, uh, coworkers. Uh, today, we're talking about evangelism and how we share with people in our community. Evangelism is one of those things that I think for a lot of Christians, we know it's good, we know it's important, but it's something we just don't do very often or much at all. And part of that, I think, comes from the fact that you might have heard different messages on how we are to evangelize. So in my history, I've heard of evangelism as a lifestyle. You know, you're just supposed to live a really good life. And then, you know, as people get to know you one day, they might say, hey, so why are you so good? Has that ever worked with you? No one's ever asked me that. They've asked me, how come you're so jacked up, but, you know. Um, there's also times when I grew up uh, understanding that evangelism was like an event that we do. We take these little tracks called the Four Spiritual Laws, and we used to pass it out to people, and if people were interested and would give us a, a few minutes, we'd go through the Four Spiritual Laws with them and explain to them what they read and invite them to see if they would like to say a prayer. I don't know how well those things have really worked. I know God has used them in many different ways. People have actually asked and found out of our faith and maybe even had conversations about God and Jesus. But one of the stuff uh, that I really love here at Christ Central that I've come to really appreciate are the stories of grace. The stories of grace are unique because it's people we know and it's their story and it's an amazing story of our brokenness an incredible Jesus encounter, and then this new journey that we're on because of Jesus. And every time you hear a story of grace, it touches you in a personal way because you can relate in some way or another, whether it's your story or whether it's a story you remember someone else sharing with you. I love the stories of grace because it makes it personal. It's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago or before. It's happening right now to people you and I know. But I think it goes beyond just the, some of the things that we used to do. There, there are some hang-ups that we have, and some of them are, for example, what if, what if they don't believe when I share the message? You know, I'll feel like a failure, like I didn't do a good job. And I have great news for you. I want you to know that as far as we've come to know, there's only one person who's a savior, and his name is Jesus. It's not Jimmy Hahn or anyone else. Salvation is up to the Lord. And it's, it's not for us to decide whether they're going to come to faith or not. It's simply to share our story of grace. Another hang-up people have is, what if they ask me questions I don't know how to answer? I want to I share with you more great news. It's okay. You can actually say, you know what, that's a great question. I don't know how to answer that. I'd love to find out and I'd love to meet with you uh, in a week or two if you, if you have time. And it's not about how all-knowing you are, because there's only one person who's all-knowing. And it's okay to be honest and say, you know what, that's a great question. I never thought of that. And there's other people who think, well, what if they reject me or turn me away? And I want to encourage you. That's actually an expected response from people who don't know God. If you don't know God, you know, why would you care? And so people say, well, you know, I don't want to hear about Jesus. I'm good. That's actually normal. When they say, well, I'm interested. I've been thinking about God. 
That's a miracle that's, that God may begin to do as he uses some of us to share his message. And the last one I wanna share with you is that people have told me, well, what if my story is boring? I, I don't feel like my story has that pizzazz, you know? It's not, it's not those stories where I've come from the depths of homelessness or, or I had an addiction or all kinds of horrible things have happened in my life, but I met Jesus and all of a sudden these things are now so amazing. And people feel like unless I have a wow story, it's not worth telling, and I want to encourage you today, the wow is not in the details. The wow is in the person we proclaim. A lot of people think that unless my story is like the Apostle Paul, where we literally met Jesus on the road of Damascus to persecuting or to doing, doing something so sinful, that maybe my story is really not interesting or something I want to share. But I want to encourage you again, the, the focus today that I want you to think about is that the story of grace is our story, but it's our story about him and, and the wonders of who he is and what he's done in our life. Today, I want to share with you another amazing story. It comes from the book of Luke, chapter 8, starting at verse 26. It's a story of the demon-possessed man. It's an amazing story, but the question is not about what happened, but who is this person that heals him. So Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 26, this is what the word of God says. It says, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackled. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Amen. Throughout chapter 8 of Luke, you'll find that Luke the physician is telling stories that basically is asking the question, who is this man? And what will your response be to him? Prior to this story is the story of Jesus calming the sea. I mean, who is this man that can just say, be calm? 
and the seas obey him. Even his own disciples were like, who is this guy? He's not just a rabbi, he's much more. And the question is, will you trust him or will you not? And a lot of people think that when we think about evangelism, we're trying to tell, with, tell them that maybe you need Jesus. And a lot of people will respond by saying, you know what, my life is good, I'm good, I don't need God or religion in my life. But the question is not, do you need religion? Or do you need some hope or whatever people might think it means? But it's really, who is this person and what might our response be to him? Today, I want us to learn from this passage three truths or lessons of why we should evangelize. The first would be that the, the realities of evangelism are, are pretty undeniable. The miracle of salvation is amazing. And then thirdly, the unique calling to share our story to our unique environment or context. We all know that there is a God, but there are a lot of people who may question that, and even when it comes to scripture, the scripture we believe is the true word of God, but if, if we could just understand that if the Bible is really God's word and there is a God, then this story, among many stories, begin to unfold for us some of the undeniable realities of the world and the life that you and I live in. And so the first thing that I want us to see about this story is that the realities of evangelism are undeniable. Our salvation is a spiritual experience. And the reality is that the spiritual realm is real. It's not that you and I encounter demons and angels all the time, or maybe some of you have never encountered that. But may I share with you that as I've traveled the world in mission trips, I've actually watched people who were actually somehow demonized or somehow oppressed by evil spirits and prayed over and they would go from just screaming to sanity. The passage in this scripture speaks about the demons calling out to Jesus, son of the most high God, have you come to torment us? Please do not torment us. And in Matthew's version of the same story, the demons say, have you come to torment us before the appointed time? And what we begin to discover is that the demons are aware that there is a judgment coming. Not only is there an appointed time of, uh, of where they will be departed into a place called the abyss, and the abyss can be understood as a place of death. And so they're fully aware of this, and this story confronts us with some things that on a daily basis you and I don't want to think about. As Christians, we welcome the thought of heaven. Most people do. But the thought of hell is actually very repulsive and it's difficult to imagine. And I want you to understand that as Christians, we don't just accept one part of who God is. We, we need to understand the whole of who God is. Because you see, God is sovereign not just of heaven but of hell. And that he created both. And both are an expression of who he is. He is both a holy and righteous God as well as a loving and merciful God. And so not only are heaven and hell real, but spiritual beings are real. And not only spiritual beings, but you and I are not only physical beings, but we're also spirit beings who also have a spirit that will live forever. And so the spiritual realm in this story is undeniable if this is the word of God, which I believe it is. And it tells a story of things that are real that maybe you and I don't want to think about on a regular basis. But to go beyond that, it's not just the reality of the spiritual realm, but it's the urgency of the message. You see, 
in, in heaven, we get to do this without any constraints. Worship, I think, in heaven will comprise of one word, and that's just, wow. Because you're going to stand before God, you're going to see clearly his glory, his full majesty. And I believe there's, we're going to be speechless, and if we could utter a word, it might just simply be, wow. In heaven, you and I will be able to have deep and intimate fellowship. Today, it's, it's hindered by the social norms and our seats and our space and, and I know you, I don't know you. And even in this place among Christians, we don't, we don't often feel like these people are family, but you are. And when we go to heaven, we will fully realize that and we will have absolute love for one another. And so in heaven, we can have worship, we can have fellowship, but there's one thing we will not have in heaven, and that's the opportunity to share the gospel. Because once Jesus returns, that's it. The famous crusade-leading evangelist, Billy Graham, who's now gone to be with the Lord, once spoke in one of his messages, and he asked a very important question. He said, what would you do if you knew that Jesus was returning tomorrow? Would you live the next 24 hours differently? That question is a very probing one because we all talk about bucket lists. And as I am in my 50s, I think about bucket list items. In fact, when I turned 50, I actually skydived. I jumped out of a plane at 12,000 feet. It was pretty insane. It was pretty crazy and it was awesome. But you know, when you think about maybe, what would you do if you had a year? That's one thing, but what if it was 24 hours? And right then, the most urgent and the most significant things matter. And I remember as I visited one of the small groups, there was a group, men's group, and this question was actually posed by the small group leader, not knowing what I was about to uh, preach this week, and he asked the group, what would you do if you knew Jesus was going to come back in a couple of days? One of the guys who was a teacher said, you know what, if I knew Jesus was going to come back in a couple of days, I would tell my family about Jesus, and I would tell my students. And I, I, asked, I said, uh, isn't it illegal to tell your students about, a, uh, about Jesus and evangelize? He said, wouldn't you get fired? And he said, oh, I don't care. If Jesus come back, I'll just tell him. I said, all right, cool. I like it. Well, what if, let's, let's add time to this. What if it wasn't two days? What if it was 10 years from now? You knew Jesus was going to come back in 10 years. He's like, ooh, that changes things. Because I have to figure out how I'm going to live if I get fired. <laughs> And so all of a sudden, when there's time, it changes the story. And that's one of the interesting things is the reality is you and I don't know what tomorrow holds. And we presume that tomorrow and many tomorrows are available. But the urgency of evangelism is the fact that we only have these moments. And so the reality, the incredible reality is of evangelism is the fact that there's spiritual realities. You and I are spirit beings as well as physical beings. And the urgency of the gospel is for this time. But secondly, the work of God in salvation is a miracle. Joel Green in his New Testament commentary writes about this particular story and he talks about how a man who was under the bondage of sin and death, he was under demonized control. He was living naked. He was living a shameful life of, of nakedness and roaming around. This man did not live in a house. He lived in the tombs or the caves in that region. And when he saw Jesus enter into his town, he falls before Jesus and he, scre and he screams out, Jesus, son of the most high God, have you come to torment me? 
And the demon-controlled man himself was out of control so much that they had to shackle him and bind him and set guards to protect the people of the town. But this particular demonized man had transformed. In verse 27, it was a man who had many demons. In verse 35, the demons had gone. In verse 27, he had worn no clothes. In verse 35, he was clothed. In verse 27, he did not live in a house but in the tombs. In verse 39, he says, Jesus says, return to your home. In verse 28, he fell down and shouted. But in verse 35, he was sitting at the foot of Jesus. In verse 29, the demon seized him and he was out of control. And in verse 35, he was in his right mind. A miracle had happened. Something that they had heard happened to this man who used to shriek and live in nakedness and shame. And you know, we might think that, yeah, when, if, if you and I knew such a person who was way out there and all of a sudden became completely changed, you might say, wow, that's an amazing story. Or maybe the story of the Apostle Paul who was on the road to persecuting Christians and, and, and trying to imprison them. All of a sudden, he himself would now become a part of the movement of the Christian faith. And stories, dramatic stories like that, we might think are those kind of stories that we would highlight and say, oh, that's a great story. May I share with you? As a small groups pastor, I've been trying to visit a lot of these small groups and I'm, I, I praise God, I'm gonna be finishing up in, in, at the end of next month. And some of these small groups, I've heard stories and testimonies. I wasn't prepared, but it was testimony sharing. And as I heard testimonies, as I heard prayer requests, you know God's at work in this church? God's at work in the lives of people right here. And there are amazing stories that you're sitting next to that you're not aware of. But I'm aware of, and I've been tremendously blessed. The stories that are amazing is not the details of how a demonized man became a man of peace. It's not the story of an angry Pharisee who now became a part of the movement he was persecuting. You see, these are details, but what's amazing about these stories, what's amazing in this story is the question of who this man is, the miracle worker himself, Jesus Christ. And so in your story and in my story as Christians, I want you to understand that every Christian story is a story of a miracle of God because he took that which was dead and made it alive. He took someone who was dead spiritually, who was living in this world but filled with just all the God fillers, what idolatry is. You know, during the days when I walked away from God, I tried to fill my days with with parties, with music, with friends, and with, with the interest of my life, which was martial arts at the time. And I tried to fill it, but it just didn't quite fill. And because it didn't fill, you needed more weekends and more time and more friends, and, and you just could never get enough. And if you've ever went in that cycle of trying to fill your life with things of this world, you know it's meaningless and shallow. It doesn't fill. And when I met God again in my life, on July 2nd, 1987, 7.30, at Camp Esther in Wrightwood, California. <laughs> that moment changed my life forever because it wasn't just a retreat. It was the person that I met again in my life. It was powerful. I've heard of him in, throughout the church years as I attended. 
And what happened from that point on was that a shy young man who was so nervous in high school trying to give an oral presentation, who was so shy was now so in love and so excited that I couldn't shut up about Jesus. And I want you to understand, this is not just my story. There's some of you who have tremendous stories about this person, Jesus, whom you love, and it's a beautiful story. It's a wonderful story. It's a story of grace in which someone who was broken had an amazing encounter with the living God, and now your life is never the same. That's a story that maybe other people may not be interested in, but people you know would be tremendously blessed to hear. You know, Jack uh, Klumperhauer, he writes in his book, Show Them Jesus. He says, knowing that we're saved is critical. If somehow we think that we were never in hellish danger, we might still admire Jesus, but we won't love him. That there's this idea that when God saved me, maybe my story's not that interesting because you know what? I was just kind of nice person. I was kind of okay. And then God, you know, saved me, brought Jesus into my life. And then now I'm going to heaven. So it's like, yay. (laughs) But I want you to understand it's not that. In fact, if we look at ourselves from the scripture's perspective, The scripture defines people before Christ as darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, enemies of God, dead in our transgressions, condemned, blind, faithless. And the description goes on and on as haters of God. And even if you say, well, I didn't hate God. Well, if we live in rebellion and ignored him, that's just as much as hating. And so this reality of who we were and how we are today. Some of you may still be in that storytelling mode where God is still writing in your life. And I want you to understand that this story is a story of grace and a story of a miracle of someone who was dead spiritually but have come to life. And so the realities of evangelism are undeniable because they are, they are the truths that you and I are reading about in the very scriptures, the truth of God. The work of God in salvation is a miracle because whenever something that was dead comes to life, it is an amazing story. It's a miracle. But the third part of this story is that you and I have a unique audience to share the story of grace. In verse 38, it says, the man from whom the demon had begged that he might be, uh, uh, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. This word home, this word in the original language of Greek, it's oikos. And sometimes it means our immediate nuclear family. But the extended meaning of this word that it's used goes beyond just our nuclear family, but it encompasses our family, our friends, our co-workers, and even those whom we have regular contact, our community and our neighbors, the people who know you. And the people who know you are the ones who probably have some interest in your life in one way or another. And you and I are placed in unique places that your workplace, your neighborhood, your community, the school you attend, the family you're born into, these are not accidents that maybe in some sovereign way God has placed you in those communities to be that unique storyteller of God's grace. And that you are there for the 
for the sole purpose, maybe beyond any kind of income or education or, or home that you live in, that God has a plan that he wants you to be his story of grace in that community. And as this demonized man was set free, Jesus says, go and return and tell how much God has done for you. I thought this was interesting because when, when the people heard what had happened to this demonized man, how the demons came out of him and entered the pigs and the pigs ran over the hillside and, and drowned in the, in the lake, that maybe people were afraid because the pigs died. But actually, Luke's storytelling doesn't seem to direct us to the fear of what happened to the pigs. It was just a fear they had of Jesus. And what's interesting is when they saw what Jesus was able to do, instead of being in awe and wanting to know him more, they rejected him and they asked him to leave. And so you see the contrast of those who were supposedly sane and in their right mind rejecting Jesus, whereas this insane man is now listening and obeying and telling the wonders of Jesus. But it's not just what he did for this man. It's the fact that this grace continued to extend to his community by sending this man to be his witness. And by the way, a witness is not someone who knows how to answer everything. A witness is simply someone who tells of what they've seen and heard. And that's not to mean that you know everything about this incident. You just want to tell what you've seen and heard. And so this man returns to not only his town, but it says throughout the entire, the whole city, he tells how much Jesus had done for him. And this former demoniac in the ministry is now called to serve and proclaim this message of what Jesus had done. You know, I used to think of evangelism as something that we used to do. And I learned a really important lesson when I was doing a campus ministry at Berkeley. There was a, there's a, you know, there's, there's, on these campuses, there's some hellfire and brimstone preachers. And one of these guys, his name was Chuck. And Chuck was this big buff Italian looking dude. And he had a black shirt with red letters saying, you're going to hell. And this guy would come on campus every once in a while and people would challenge him verbally, but you couldn't challenge him physically because he was just buff. And so I said, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and so he stood there and as he, as he proclaimed this, this really harsh message, I remember sitting at the fountain and I remember this, this other Caucasian dude with dreadlocks, which I thought was really impressive. Uh, and uh, he had no shirt on, he had khakis, and he had this golden retriever, and he sat down next to me, we were both listening to this guy, and I leaned over to this guy, I said, hey, I'm just curious, what do you think about this? And he said, why? And I said, well, you see, I'm a Christian, I'm just curious, like, what you think about this? And he's like, oh, you're one of them. And I said, oh, no. He said, I got a question for you. I said, all right, here we go. He said, how come you Christians are so quick to tell us what you believe, but the moment we start speaking about what we believe, you want to leave? And it's at that moment I realized this, this man was asking me, am I just a project to you or do you really care about what I believe and what I think? And what began to dawn on me is that evangelism is not about doing a project on someone. It's about really getting to know people for people. And the very people that you will know and have a lasting relationship are the people in your oikos, in your household. And this, these people in your household are placed around you, and God has placed you in that community to be his witnesses. 
And with this, I just have a few words of encouragement to share with you. And you know, there's a lot of fears of rejection. There's, there's comfort issues because you know what? It's just kind of uncomfortable to go out and start talking to people. Um, maybe I'm just glad that I'm saved and I'm just going to heaven. That's just really selfish because, you know, it's like God says, as, as freely as you've received, freely give. And sometimes there's fear. We're overcome with fear in the fact that, man, if I go out there and share, what if they kind of attack me or persecute me? And this too, scripture reminds us that if you want to live a godly life, you will face persecution. Not to, not to keep you from any of this, but I want to encourage you that as we think about evangelism, I want you to think about it not in the ability to be able to answer every question. Not to expect people to just fall down on their knees and accept Jesus at the moment, because maybe most likely they won't. But it's simply for you to bear witness of what God has done in your life and to be able to tell your story freely, joyfully, and in love. If you've ever met someone in love, you'll know that you just can't shut them up. I remember when I met my wife and I knew that she showed interest in me, oh my gosh, I was goo goo gaga. I was like, I couldn't stop talking about her. Same thing with Jesus. When I met Jesus, oh man. And the question maybe today that I have for us as a church is do you still have that sense of joy and love and excitement? Or maybe perhaps one of the scariest thing about evangelism is that it might expose the doubts and the questions and the fears. And if someone begins to probe, maybe they're going to probe and find out that I am struggling in my faith or I don't know what to share. Maybe it's not so exciting and I'm not so in love with Jesus. And I want you to understand that's okay. The beauty of the gospel message is that I struggle. But whoever, whatever I'm struggling with, whatever doubts I'm going through, there's something, if you are a Christian, even in those midst of doubts, there's a certain certainty that we have that we still put in Jesus Christ. And so the story of a miracle, this amazing work that he has done, that you and I are there then to not proclaim the wonders of its details, but the beauty of who has worked a miracle in our life. And so it's some advice to share with you is not to sound like you need to have all these attractive details, but simply be yourself and tell your story. There was a friend I had throughout high school. I hadn't seen him for years, but my sister was friends with his sister. And then later on, many years later, we met together and we, got, we grabbed lunch and we were chatting. He's not a believer, but later on, I found out, he found out that I became a pastor. And he said, why, why would you become a pastor? And I shared with him why. I told my story. It's not that he all of a sudden said, well, I want to believe in Jesus, but man, I got a chance to tell my story and to pray for him. And I want you to just be yourself. And I want you to also pray. Pray because this is the supernatural work of God, not by your persuasive words or mine, but by his spirit. And then I want you to tell your story. Be respectful as you tell the story because people may have different views and we need to respect their views and their faith. We need to be bold. You know, when, when I shared the story and, and, and this, there, there was one time when someone asked me, are you trying to convert me? And I remember at that time, I, I, I immediately pulled back and I said, oh, no, 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 I don't, I'm not trying to do that. I just want to just share some stuff. No. You know, since then, I've changed my mind. I wish I could go back in time. If someone asks you, are you trying to convert me? Say, oh, yeah, absolutely. I would love for you to meet my Jesus. Man, if you would trust in him, oh. But if, 
If, if that's not what you're experiencing, if that's not where you're at, it's hard to share. And again, it, comes, it brings us back, not to the details of our stories, but who is this person? Be loving. Loving means you don't just tell them, and would you like to trust him? Would you like to go to church? No? All right, see you later. No. Still, maintain that relationship. You're in community with them. You work with them. You go to school with them. There are, there are several families that through the sport of basketball, I've had the privilege to meet in my community in Brea. And there are several families that my children, my wife and I, we pray for. And I, I praise God because they visited during Christmas. And I shared with them my faith in Jesus. And they actually heard me preach, not only as a coach, but as a pastor. And I love that they have certain questions and, and I'm still praying and trying to reach them with more stories of what God has been doing. But I want you to understand that just because they didn't receive Christ doesn't mean that we end our relationship. Our call is to be a witness, to simply share what we've seen and heard. The conviction and conversion is God's business, not mine. And the power to be his witness comes as the spirit of God reminds us of the gospel and the hope that you and I have. At the end of the day, I love what this story represents because it's not just a parallel story to mine, it's actually a wonderful story that reminds us of Jesus. That he was a substitute for our penalty of death. That though he was rich, he became poor. That though he was crowned and robed in majesty, he became naked on a cross. That though he himself is life, he walked among the spiritually dead, proclaiming the message of God's kingdom. And though he is not just the giver of life, he is life itself. He came to give so that we might have life. You know, as, as I think about this, I just want to really encourage you as a church. I know what it's like to feel intimidated or to be worried about people's responses. I get that. And no one wants to be seen as that Christian weirdo, fanatic freak at work or at school. I get that too. Maybe what I'm asking you and what I believe, what Jesus told this demon-possessed man who's been set free, he said, go and just tell them your story. You can't argue with the story. It's my story. But maybe that story, because it's real and it's in your life, maybe God will use that to shed light on who this amazing redeemer is. And I hope that you will be fearless. I hope you'll be bold. I hope you'll be loving. I hope you'll be prayerful. But mostly, I hope you will tell your story to your household, to your community, to your oikos. And I hope you will do it continually as God affords you opportunity. If I may encourage you, as we end, when you go home tonight, if those of you who want to and just remember, would you start writing the thing, a thank you letter to Jesus or God? I, and I, I say this because it's so significant. When you start saying thank you, you're trying to think, what am I thankful for? And as you recall the things that you're thankful for, I think your story will continue to unfold. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Christ Central. Thank you so much for the men and women and thank you for the friends who come to hear about Jesus and about our love for you. Lord, today we continue to think about the friendships we have in our community, people that we love and care about, people that we work alongside, people we have classes with, roommates or dormmates. 
And God, we know that they are not placed in our life by accident. We know that you placed us in their lives to love them and to share a wonderful story. I pray the stories of grace that you've given to each of us will continue to resound in our communities. In Christ's name I pray, amen.